Well, good evening, church. It's good to see each of you back, and glad that you came tonight. Uh, we opened up a conversation this morning in our study talking about seeds of change. And we looked at the verse in Galatians, chapter 6, verse 7, that talked about the law of cause and effect, but in Christian terms, in biblical terms, it's not the law of cause and effect, it's the law of what? Sowing and reaping, or reaping and sowing. You can say it either way. And, um, and so if you are serious about change or spiritual growth, there is a principle that you can apply and use in your life. Tonight, I want to try to, to give an example of that, and I want to talk about seeds of change, particularly dealing with offenses by dealing with self. Dealing with offenses by dealing with self. And you say, well, what, what do you mean by that? Well, um, our understanding of what happens inside a person when they come to know Christ is something like this. That without Jesus, without salvation, I am absolutely a prisoner of my own desires. And the Bible has a word for that. It's called flesh. And the flesh is that part of me that wants to do what it wants, when it wants, however it wants, doesn't want to be restrained, uh, doesn't like to be told what to do, definitely doesn't like the idea of submitting itself to anyone else. Uh, self is that part of me that wants to do life without God. The flesh is that part of you that wants to do life without God, that doesn't think you need God, you don't need anybody to take care of you, lead you, uh, guide you in any way. And when a person comes to know Christ, something has to happen to the flesh. And in fact, what we understand the Bible teaches is this. My sins that separate me from God are all put on Jesus Christ, and he died for my sins on the cross. And so that takes care of the penalty of sin. Not a small thing. Because that penalty was an eternity in hell, and Jesus took that punishment for me. He was our substitute. He was a sacrificial lamb. He was the sacrifice that took our place. Now, how do I live, though, in light of that? I, I have been living with this flesh in control. Uh, how do I live now that I put my trust in Christ? I believe with all my heart that we have not done a good job in teaching, particularly new Christians, that there are two ways to live. You can live according to the flesh, or you can live according to the Spirit. When you trusted Jesus Christ, the Bible says the Holy Spirit came to live inside you. If that did not happen, you are not a Christian. There is no definition of a Christian, a true Christian in the Bible, that says that the Holy Spirit doesn't live in you. He comes to live inside, and his job is to communicate to you the presence of Christ. He is there to be just like Jesus would be if he were here in person. He's there to lead you. He's there to speak to you. He's there to teach you. He's there to grow you, and he is not there as your servant. He is there as your Lord. And, and so the Christian growth process is learning not how to get better at things, but how to learn to walk in this life that I've already been given, this life in the Spirit. And when Paul teaches about that, he says, look, there's two ways to live. 
Even as a Christian, there's two ways to live. You can say, well, now I know the rules are right and wrong. I shouldn't do this and I should do that. And the way to live as a Christian is to try to keep all the rules. And there's nothing particularly wrong with that. I believe as a Christian you shouldn't be breaking all the rules. But it's a hard way to live. And in fact, it's no different than the way people used to live without the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And so no matter how much faith you have, you needed more than just your own strength to do what's right. And that's who the Holy Spirit is for you. He's there to to change your life, enable you with a whole different way of living. And the difference is this. I can keep, I can walk according to my effort, my ability, my strength, and try to keep the rules. And the Bible says you're going to be a total failure. Or I can walk in the Spirit. And Paul said in Galatians 5 that if I walk in the Spirit, I will not fulfill the lusts or the desires of the flesh. I will feel them, but they won't be in charge. They won't be in control. And so inside the Christian, there is this dynamic where you have the Holy Spirit living in you, but you also have this thing called the flesh, this part of you that is rebellious, this part of you that, um, as we see here in just a moment, is causing probably more problems for you than anybody else you know, and that's your own flesh. Now, I want to deal with a very specific area tonight, and that is those moments when someone hurts you or offends you, what you do next in that moment. Those moments when someone hurts you or offends you, what you, what you do next is, is reflective of these two ways of life. The greatest fear that I have as a Christian is that in that moment, I will let the flesh rule instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to rule. Um, because of the way I was raised and where I come from and my background, I'm not afraid of you. I'm afraid of me. And my greatest concern is, does the Holy Spirit have control of Don Pusey? I don't want you to control me. And by that I mean where you can just set me off or say anything and do anything, and in that sense you control my actions and reactions. I want the Holy Spirit to control me. And so have you ever been in that situation and you have said the wrong thing? No comment. (laughs) You've said the wrong thing. I mean, the flesh came up and it came out and it wasn't pretty. And you said the wrong thing, you did the wrong thing. And how did you feel after that? Well, let me tell you, if you're a Christian, you should have felt pretty crummy after that. In fact, one of the markers that you, in fact, you are a Christian and the Holy Spirit lives in you is the Holy Spirit doesn't let you walk away from that failure and feel okay about it. Boy, I told him I felt good about that. No, he doesn't leave you like that. He, he actually comes and he convinces you, Don, that wasn't right, buddy. I didn't make you to live that way. I made you to reflect me. I made you to bring me glory, not to show off your flesh. And so, and, and naturally, if you think about our media and the way problems are resolved in film and, and uh, television and so forth, uh, our culture admires the one who goes Rambo on people. It does. And uh, we, we love to see the flesh really do a good job. But 
the Bible has a totally different picture. And so uh, you said, well, pastor, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried to deal with my temper, I've tried to deal with my flesh, I've tried to deal with those things, and I find myself failing again and again. And well, this morning, drawing on what we taught this morning, there's a principle that you can use to begin to get a handle on what's happening. This is not something that happens apart from the Holy Spirit, but this is something that, that you plant in your life and the Holy Spirit can use it to help you grow more like Jesus and less like the flesh in those moments when someone hurts you or offends you. Would you pray with me a moment before we continue? Lord, we want the reality of your word to sink deeply into our hearts. And I know that if there's a person here who's, who's the real deal, if there's anyone here who's a Christian and the Holy Spirit lives in them, I know that they battle with the flesh. And so, Father, we pray that you would speak clearly through your word and that all we would hear tonight is truth. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, during a recent during our recent study of 1 Peter, there was really a picture that came to mind that I want to try to capture tonight and share with you that, that was helpful to me when it comes to handling offenses. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But let me deal with the word offense. What is an offense? Um, an offense is an action. And a word can be an action. But an offense is an action that displeases, provokes, annoys, irritates, or causes pain or injury. Did I cover most of it? I mean, that's an offense, right? So an offense is an action, something someone does. But listen, an offense is also something someone feels. Not just what someone does, but it's also what someone feels. The Greek word scandalon, we get the word scandal from it, um, is, describes anything that's a cause of stumbling. It causes you to have that feeling. A cause of stumbling, it puts you in a place where you're off balance, tripping you up so that your normal attitude and behavior, like the kind you have right when you come out of your quiet time and you've been worshiping Jesus and, and you love him and he loves you, and then suddenly something causes you to stumble. And suddenly you, you, you move away from that attitude that heart of praise and that, that heart of loving him, and suddenly the flesh rears up and does something. The thing that, that's involved there is, is a stumbling block. It's an offense that provokes that, anything that causes that. And you change your attitude and your behavior, usually it's bad, uh, towards someone, and a relationship becomes broken or an individual becomes rejected. So what's involved in that? What's going on with that? What's well, the flesh? It's the flesh, it's that part of you that tries to do life without God. And uh, you have it from birth, and you will have it right up to the moment that you die. Now, there's more truth about the flesh than what I'm going to talk about tonight, because I'm, but I'm dealing with a very narrow piece of this. And uh, so listen to some of these passages, and, and they'll be on the screen. 1 Peter 2.11. This is one we actually read before. Uh, Peter writes, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, Abstain from fleshly lusts, what do they do? Which war against the soul. They're, they're fighting you. It's like a full-blown world war inside your heart. And the flesh is always doing that. And there it is, it's rumbling, it's at war against your soul. Galatians 5.17 
Uh, right after that verse, in verse 16, where it says, walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In verse 17, it says, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, desires the exact opposite of what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. And so inside a Christian is not this peace and harmony in terms of desire. It's two sets of conflicting desires that are constantly at war with one another. Now look, you may have, you may have thought, you know, if I was a real Christian, I wouldn't think these thoughts. I wouldn't feel like doing what I want to do to that person or saying what I want to say. I wouldn't think those words. I wouldn't think those thoughts if I was a true Christian. Listen, Paul says just the opposite. He says the very fact that you're struggling and that there's a battle is a pretty good marker that the Holy Spirit has one set of desires in you and your flesh has another. So the conflict is not a problem. I would say the absence of conflict is your problem. So, uh, so don't be concerned about that. There's other passages we could look at, but uh, the bottom line is the flesh hates to yield or submit to the Spirit. And, um, and so the picture I had was this. Uh, inside of me, there's this flesh. Now, when we talked about this, when we studied Colossians, some of y'all will remember that I said that when you became a Christian, something happened to your flesh. Uh, the Bible says your flesh was crucified with Christ. And so the relationship between you and these desires that want to take you away from doing anything for God has changed. And your flesh has now, in one sense, been put in a cage. And Jesus put it there. Your flesh was crucified with him. It does not have the same freedom or power over you that it did before you came to Christ. Its power has been broken. And so it's not inevitable that you do everything your flesh wants to do. In fact, when we studied at Colossians, specifically what he said there was to mortify your members which are on the earth. And then he lists all these fleshly things. And, and we define that, putting the death your flesh, the desires that dwell in your physical body, uh, we use the word picture of to stop feeding it. That the more you feed your flesh, the bigger and stronger the animal gets. And so if you're struggling with a particular kind of sin, stop feeding it. If you have a trouble with your eyes, stop looking at the things that cause trouble with your eyes. Stop listening to the things that are feeding the flesh. But, uh, but now coming back to this, so this flesh is inside of me, it's in a cage, and let's, I may even stop feeding it. But, um, but that flesh is always ready to run my life if I let it. Always. Always ready to take control. And so someone comes along and they say something to me I don't like. And that old flesh, it just rears up. And it's like a big monster. It just wants to rear up. It wants to take control. And, and the picture that I have in my mind, especially when we were studying First Peter, is he talked about being submissive to one another, all of us being submissive to one another, clothing ourselves with humility, First Peter 5.5. 5. Being submissive to one another, clothing ourselves with humility. And so what's, what's happening to my, myself, my flesh, if that's the case? Well, my flesh is, is getting slapped down. No, we're not going there. You're not going to be in charge. 
you're not in control. And what I'm trying to do is, is lower uh, the flesh while at the same time saying yes to the Spirit. And, uh, and so when someone crosses what I want, the flesh is ready to rise up and react. But the Spirit wants me to shut it down by yielding to what He wants. The goal is twofold. twofold. And I jotted this down this afternoon. It's up on the screen. The goal is twofold. Number one, not reacting with my flesh. That's my first goal. <laughs> not reacting with my flesh. So when you come at me and whatever reason, you may be in the flesh too. But the, the thing is, I don't want to react with mine. The second thing is, is I don't want to provoke yours. You got the picture? On one hand, I don't want to react with mine, but I don't want to provoke yours either. And so you know how these things escalate, right? You say something, I say something. You didn't like that, so you got to say something else. And I don't like it, so I got to say something bigger, and it gets worse. Up, 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 it escalates. And so that's why I've said before that one of your first goals when you're in a major heated discussion with someone is try to take the thermostat down. And somebody's got to step back and say, not going there. I'm not going to let it provoke me, and I'm not going to provoke them. So what is involved with this? What can the Holy Spirit use? What can I plant in my life that will truly make a difference in this area? And one of the practices years and years ago that I found helpful was to take Scripture that spoke to my problem and to commit it to memory and to think about that verse, especially when I was put in a situation where that verse applied. And, and it's a form of meditation, biblical meditation, on the truth, long before I need it, thinking about it, reflecting on it, making it part of my thoughts, and uh, I found that in the early part of my walk with the Lord that reading Proverbs and reading the book of Psalms, but particularly reading the Proverbs was helpful to me personally on this issue. And the nice thing about the book of Proverbs, and this is not to put a, a legal obligation on anybody, but the nice thing about the book of Proverbs is that there are 31 chapters, and you can read a chapter a day, and you can go through it 12 times a year. And listen, that means these verses keep coming back at you again and again and again. And pretty soon becomes part of your thinking. And when something happens, you at least know where you went wrong <laughs> if you lose it. If, and, and even better, the Holy Spirit may grab, grip your mind and your heart and say, hey, here's the truth. Here's how I want you to respond. And you're able to act on it. Seeds to plant insight from Proverbs. I want to share about a half dozen of these uh, pairs and that's what Proverbs does a lot of times. It puts two thoughts together and that speak to this issue. And these are the seeds that you would plant. These are the seeds that you would plant in your mind, in your heart, and that the Holy Spirit can use. And I believe that would bear fruit in your life and have borne fruit in my life. Let's look at the first one. Proverbs 19, verse 11. Proverbs 19, verse 11. And you notice it comes in pairs. There's two parts to the verse. I just went ahead and put them as two bullets. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. First part of it says the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger. Second part says, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. Look at that word overlook. In Colossians 3.13, we're told to bear with one another. 
right before we're told to forgive one another. But the, the concept of bearing with one another means that you're doing something that bugs me. Right? I mean, bearing with, with one another means I'm doing something that bugs you and or you're doing something that bugs me and I am bearing it. I'm not acting on it. I'm not reacting to it. And in this, this is the sense in which Proverbs is saying to overlook a transgression. That doesn't mean you should um, never confront a problem, uh, sweep things under the rug, ignore behavior over and over again. It doesn't mean you should do that. Uh, but it does mean that you should not be reacting to it, overlooking that transgression. Discretion or wisdom is insight into what is happening. And so while something inflammatory may have been spoken to you, uh, wisdom is, is understanding what's happening in that situation, that they've said something, that your flesh wants to rise up and lash out, and overlooking is a choice, a choice not to let your flesh react to what has been done. Let's look at another one. Proverbs 16, verse 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. It is more like Jesus to be patient and not warlike. And that is certainly unlike Hollywood, isn't it? Um, we think a guy that's a warrior is pretty good. He can take them out, rough them up. He who rules the spirit, then he who takes the city. We like the guy that takes the city. And, um, and yet a spirit-controlled person is a person who rules over his inner man and shows that your real fight is not with the person who's provoking you. Your real fight is with yourself. Proverbs 15.1, here's another one. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And this is avoiding the flesh responding to flesh scenario where someone says something and you react harshly, you react sharply, and what's it going to do? It's going to escalate. It's going to escalate. In contrast to that, if you meet anger, meet it with the opposite spirit with, that was coming at you. If anger is coming at you, they're loud, they're hostile, they're mean, you should be going the other direction. Quieter, gentler, not harsh. And uh, so humility wins, not by meeting anger with anger, but by going just the opposite direction. Proverbs 17, verse 4. The beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. You say, I'm not sure what that means. Well, you ever seen an argument where every detail of family history, every past baggage and argument, every detail of every wrong-ended discussion that you've ever had comes out? Ever been in one of those? Don't raise your hand. And, and he's telling us something very important about this. He said, you can reach a point in the discussion where the argumentation causes a breach and the dam breaks. And once the water starts flowing, you're not going to stop it. And all of this other is going to come out. 
and is going to enter into it. And now you've got more than just the little problem you started with. In fact, most of the time people have forgotten what started it. <laughs> That's ancient history. We don't know why we're mad at each other. Uh, we just are. And um, so the original problem is completely lost. Wisdom, he says, stop contention before a quarrel starts. Wisdom is not going there. When he says stop contention, uh, that word is describing a court case where you're making a case, argumentation. Uh, those of you who know me, I'm really good at that. Uh, making a case. He says that the moment that happens and you realize you're not getting anywhere, when he says stop in the Hebrew, that means let it go. <laughs> Drop it. Abandon it. It's like letting a field just do whatever it wants to do. He says the moment you move past that point where you're just discussing something and now you're arguing a case, drop it. Drop it. The idea is to stop being adversarial as soon as you recognize that you're being adversarial. Proverbs 20, verse 3. It is honorable for a man to stop striving. It goes right with the one we just read. It's honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel. You know, it doesn't take a lot of talent, does it, to start a fight. And um, it's much more uh, honorable. And, uh, and you say, well, how do you do that? How do you stop a quarrel? Uh, I tell you, one of the best things is to be very careful what words you use. Um, Y'all remember the show, Everyone Loves Raymond? You know what made him so funny was that he always said the wrong thing. And it was so obvious that it was the wrong thing that as soon as he said the wrong thing, to his wife usually, but as soon as he said the wrong thing, everybody in America watching the show said, uh-oh, oh no, he shouldn't have said that, you know? Why? Because we know that certain words and certain statements are inflammatory. And if I want to stop a quarrel, I need to be careful with the words I use, with the language that I use. Uh, one more, Proverbs 21, verse 23. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. Guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from from trouble. Uh, an unguarded mouth is usually going to vent a carnal heart, a heart that is out of control, and the words are going to hurt someone. Um, you know, you've heard the old saying, you need to think before you speak. Uh, there's a real exercise that you and I can use where we think about the words and we weigh our words before we let them go. And, and what kind of effect is that going to have? If my heart's out of control um, and I start speaking, then uh, those words are not going to be well considered. Here's the bottom line. Uh, Romans 14, verses 12 to 13. This is not Proverbs. I'm jumping to Romans. Usually this passage of Scripture, Romans 14, talks about disputable matters between Christians. Things I do that offend you or things you do that offend me. But we can't find anything in Scripture to suggest that it's wrong. I just don't like you doing it or you don't like me doing it. Uh, Romans 14, verse 12 to 13. This is what he says. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Do you believe that? He speaks that to Christians. 
uh, we are going to give an account of ourselves. And he says, based on that, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. Don't be all consumed with about what, what somebody else is doing, what they're saying, and how it affects you. He says, but rather resolve this not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Don't look so much at what they're doing that bothers you. What am I doing that bothers them? And being very careful that I'm not the one that's provoking them, making sure that I'm not the one that's pulling the trigger, pulling the string. And, and that's how he shifts our focus, is to make sure that we're not the stumbling block. So that's, not, so that's the goal, uh, not to worry about what they're doing to me, but to give much more attention about what I'm doing to them, keeping myself from reacting to them, keeping myself from provoking their flesh. Well, I do want us to have a time of response. And I think it's appropriate, particularly if you're struggling or you know someone that's struggling or you just want someone to pray with you about this, that we have a time of response. I, this, is, this is serious business. Um, I don't know about the people gathered in this room. I'm not picking on anybody in particular. But, you know, there are marriages that depend on whether or not somebody in the marriage figures this out. And there are relationships between parents and children that depend on whether somebody figures this out. And there are relationships that you have at work, and there are relationships that you all have at school or are going to have at school that depend on whether or not somebody makes the choice to step back from the never-ending, I got you, you got me, back and forth. And someone steps back and says, look, I know that as a follower of Christ, I've got another way to live. And that way to live involves following him, setting my heart to please him, and trusting his Holy Spirit to change me and give me the power to do what he says I can do. Let me ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. Before we have this time of response tonight, um, I'm going to pray with us. And then if you would like further prayer, the pastors and I will be down front. Altars here. If you have someone you want to pray with, Right there in the pew, you can just reach over, grab their shoulder, their hand, and say, hey, pray with me. Um, we want this to be a time that we give to the Lord. This is our response to him, not to the pastor. This is our response to him, the Lord Jesus, and to his word. How did he speak to you? If you find that, that you are struggling with this old thing called the flesh, and it's eating you up. I want to encourage you to plant different seeds. Set your heart to plant different seeds tonight and tomorrow. Get your copy of God's Word and read it. Read the book of Proverbs. Read those scriptures that speak to your heart specifically in the area where you're struggling. Plant those seeds that the Holy Spirit can use to bear fruit and change life. No one here is perfect. And no one here is free from the flesh. Not yet, anyway. And we all need to rely fully on the Holy Spirit. I'm not asking you to try harder. 
I'm asking you to simply turn to Jesus by faith and say, Lord, I can't do it. And I need you, Lord Jesus, more than ever to come and fill my heart and to change me. And I trust you to do that. Father, thank you for the truth of your word and the power it has to change a human heart forever. We thank you that it is an incorruptible seed, Peter said, that bears fruit unto eternal life. And Lord, forgive us for neglecting your word. Forgive us for thinking they're just, it's just like any other book. We know that that's not true. We know that your word is living. We know that it's powerful. And we know that your Holy Spirit wants to use it in our life. So Father, as we respond to you, I pray for that dear one or those dear ones who are turning to you right now and saying, Jesus, help me. Lord, Jesus, help me. I can't do it, but I know you can. Jesus, help me. Amen.